From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And joining me for this edition is Patrick DiLoretto, a co-sponsored seminarian uh, with plans to become a U.S. military chaplain. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for having me, Taylor. I appreciate it. And uh, so let's get started uh, with your plans. Which branch of service do you hope to serve in? Um, so I'm in the United States Army, and uh, I hope that once, uh, God willing, I get ordained, that I will be able to go back uh, into the Army and minister to the men and women in uniform there. So you already have uh, Army experience on active duty? Uh, not on active duty. I was uh, three years enlisted in the Colorado National Guard. Um, and I was actually commissioned uh, through an ROTC program uh, from the University of Northern Colorado before I went into seminary. I see. And uh, so how did you discover your vocation? Um, so my junior year in, in college, I felt that uh, I was missing something in my life. You know, I was raised Catholic, um, but I really didn't um, practice my faith in, in college and I just was seeking worldly things, and I was founding that my life was you know, just empty of a lot of meaning, and it was just uh, just felt numb um, looking back on it. And um, looking back on it, there's a quote from St. Augustine that really, um, really nails down what my heart was longing for is, uh, heart, Lord, you made our heart for yourself. Therefore, our heart is restless until it rests in you, and my heart wasn't resting in the Lord, and so um, I was just very restless. I didn't know um, what I really should be doing in my life, and I felt this this desire to minister specifically to uh, men and women in uniform um, before I felt uh, the desire to enter seminary itself. Um, So around uh, second semester of junior year, I really was... Uh, set on entering seminary. I hear you. And uh, where were you in college? Uh, I went to college at uh, the University of Northern Colorado. Um, it's in uh, Greeley, Colorado, about uh, uh, 13,000 students. And it was just a teaching college, which was originally my plan was to get a degree in uh, in teaching. What in uh, your uh, major was education? Uh, history with uh, uh, emphasis in secondary education. I see. And uh, what years were you in undergraduate? Uh, I started uh, started college in 2011, and I graduated in 2015. And when did you join the National Guard in Colorado? I joined uh, my second at the end of my first year in college, so that would have been uh, it was May 3rd, uh, 2012. Uh, so it sounds to me like you uh, found your military vocation before you did your priestly vocation. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair to say. I, I have an older brother who uh, joined the Army, and he was a very big influence on, on me to, to join. Um, also, my family always emphasized uh, service to others, and so uh, it really lined up with those values very well. Your family was Catholic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? So I'm the fourth out of five boys in my family. That's a real Catholic family. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the fourth. Uh, and uh, one of your older brothers was already in the Army? Yeah, my oldest brother. 
Mm-hmm. I see. And what was it about his influence that uh, led you to also consider a career in the Army? I think that I just always looked up to my oldest brother and just uh, um, his leadership when leading the whole clan of us uh, as, uh, as we grew up. And uh, seeing him join the Army, go off uh, to uh, Afghanistan while I was in high school, that left an impact on me as uh, someone I had to look up to, um, uh, specifically in that way, and joining the military. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that was a, the big influence there. And you went on to graduate with a degree in history. Yes. <laughs> and uh, your plan was what, to teach history? Yeah, originally I wanted to be a uh, high school teacher teaching history um, and uh, doing the staying in the Colorado National Guard, but uh, that uh, changed dramatically with uh, the junior year. I see. And was there any single event or combination of events that junior year that pushed you over the top in terms of discovering, discerning your vocation? See, I was saying that... Uh, I wanted to become a priest and then I wanted to become a chaplain. Um, I was saying these things merely for the, for the first couple months uh, that I decided I wanted to do it without having a real reversion or conversion moment uh, back to the faith. Um, I was still, I was teetering on the edge. You know, it was just like, yeah, I'm going to go do this, but I'm not exactly all in it. Um, a friend of mine uh, really can really sat me down and convinced me that I needed to go on a Catholic retreat um, they were having up in the mountains. And it was there that I was introduced to intercessory prayer for the first time, um, adoration for the first time. I went back to confession for the first time in uh, seven years. And all of these these factors just broke down the walls that I built up around my own heart. Uh, that And it really made me feel the love that God had for me. Um, and so after that was a very real, committed, all right, Lord, is this actually what you're asking me to do? Is this where you want me to go? And the confirmation I'd got initially, um, soon after that uh, experience, was realizing how much of a love the Lord had placed on my own heart for uh, soldiers, to want to bring them into an encounter with Christ. And so that, for me, was... All right, Lord, I think you're asking me to do this. This retreat was sponsored by Campus Ministry at the college where you were attending? Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, the Campus Ministry was called Bear Catholic. It uh, still is called Bear Catholic. Yeah. I see. Um, and I mentioned at the outset that you are a co-sponsored seminarian. Mm-hmm. And for the benefit of our listener who doesn't know what that is, uh, briefly, a co-sponsorship is uh, a partnership between the Archdiocese for the Military Services and the Home Diocese of a seminarian. And uh, the program is that uh, the uh, AMS, the Archdiocese for the Military Services, uh, pays half, and the uh, seminarian's home diocese or religious order pays the other half for the five-year period in uh, seminary, after which you go back to your home diocese for three years, and then you're available for military service for at least five years. It could be a whole career. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is your expectation that you'll uh, spend just five years in the Army, or do you expect you'll um, stick around longer than that? So uh, my hope would be to stay in as long as I'm physically able to stay in, and also um, with the approval of, uh, of my bishop, 
Um, but if my bishop asks me to come back um, after just five years, that's that's what I'll that's what I'll do. But uh, I would hope to be able to stay in for uh, twenty to thirty years. I see. So after this retreat, your junior year, uh, you felt like this was a real calling. What happened next? After that, I had to uh, finish up my degree, but uh, I went through the process of uh, applying for seminary at uh, at St. John Vianney in uh, Denver um, for the Archdiocese of Denver and um, was accepted there. And uh, um, a week after I finished college and was commissioned, uh, I went into uh, seminary. Um, just a week? Yeah, just a week later because I had to uh, finish uh, a few classes over the summer that I wasn't able to finish um, during the semester, so the spring semester. No summer vacation after your <laughs> senior year in college. Well, one or two classes is a, <laughs> is a pretty easy workload, so I had plenty of rest time. So you were accepted by the Archdiocese of Denver. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, it's a pretty strenuous process to be accepted to uh, any diocese these days. Um, you have to fill out an application packet. You have to write a couple different essays on on a few different topics. Uh, you have to go through uh, between a six to eight hour psychological evaluation, and you have several meetings uh, with uh, with individuals. For example, the admissions board that I had to go through at St. John Vianney, where they sat me down, kind of went through all the stuff that I had submitted up to that point, and asked me questions about it. And then I met with the Archbishop of Denver, um, where he got to ask me. Uh, some questions and after all that's said and done then you're you know you're accepted to the seminary you're accepted by the uh, diocese and uh, um, you start preparing yourself for entering into seminary and um, for a lot of places that would be you go straight into studies that's not the case at St. John Vianney. Uh, St. John Vianney your very first year um, is a spirituality year uh, so you spend the whole year not doing any academics. You're taking classes for your own edification and for your own knowledge. I'm just uh, like a, a you'll have somebody who comes in once a week to teach you scripture. You'll be reading uh, uh, the spiritual novels. Like, I, uh, for example, I read uh, The Story of a Soul uh, while I was there. Um, so you're doing these things, but you're learning how to pray, how to discern, because the foundation stone of the priesthood is your prayer life, your relationship with Christ. Um, and so that's what they were trying to nail home in that first year. You also do three different silent retreats. You do a three-day silent retreat, you did a five-day silent retreat, and then at the end of the year you do a 30-day silent retreat. And you also have uh, one month where uh, it's called a poverty immersion where you and one other seminarian are sent uh, to some location in the country uh, to experience uh, living with the homeless, the poor, uh, or the dying in some, in some capacity. And where were you sent? Well, I was sent to uh, uh, Phoenix, actually. Yeah. And did you who did you work with? Homeless people? So I was working at a uh, night shelter uh, run by the Missionaries of Charity. What was that like? That was quite an experience. I'd never done anything quite like that before. Uh, the Missionaries of Charity are wonderful, wonderful women, um, and they really teach you to make do with what you got. Uh, that was uh, that was something I learned from them. Give me an example of that. <laughs> well, my very first day there, uh, one of the sisters, the you know, the entire building was made just out of solid brick or uh, concrete, and one of the sisters needed to put a hole in it. So she had the only thing she had was uh, um, a, a drill bit, 
So she took that and just, I'm sure, destroyed the drill bit, but she got that hole in that uh, into that wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what was she drilling the hole for? To hang a picture? Or yeah, something? exactly. She needed to hang a picture. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there ever a point where you thought, I don't know if I'm cut out for this? Oh, yeah, for a period of about two years. Um, so after uh, Spirituality Year, which was a fantastic year, I think that if you have and if you have the ability to do it, you should do that. Um, that is a fantastic year, and it really helps you for the rest of your, at least this has been six years since I went, went through that year. It's been a help to me every year since since then. Um, but uh, philosophy, uh, for me, the first two years was an extremely difficult time. I uh, was not able to get down uh, a lot of the principles they were, they were teaching me. I felt that I was falling behind in a lot of areas, and I was spending a lot of time just thinking, Lord, you really want me? You want me for the priesthood? It's like, come on, those 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 other guys out there. They're the super uh, smart guys. Uh, let's see, you're studying Plato, <laughs> Aristotle, Aquinas, Augustine. Uh, to name a few, yeah. I see. Uh, okay. And, uh, all right, now there came a point where you decided uh, to change diocese. You were with the yeah. Archdiocese of Denver, and then you moved where? Well, I, I want to say first off is that uh, the Archdiocese of Denver, Denver is a fantastic place. Uh, anyone who is thinking of uh, discerning there um, is is uh, is very fortunate. That is a fantastic diocese. A lot of really great seminarians, and the Saint John Vianney is a great seminary, great place to be formed. Um, but uh, in my second theology, you know, the Lord really made it clear to me that He was asking me not to uh, continue on in Denver but to seek a, a new diocese. Um, and so uh, through uh, a lot of discernment and uh, a lot of guidance, uh, especially uh, from, uh, from the priest here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services, um, really came to determine that uh, the Lord is asking me to enter into the Diocese of Colorado Springs. All right, now let me ask you this. Uh, back up a little bit. When you first entered the seminary, you went... Uh uh, for the Archdiocese of Denver, at some point there, you must have made contact with the Archdiocese for the military services, right? Yeah, actually, I made contact with uh, Father Aiden Logan, uh, the vocations director, while I was still in college, because I didn't know exactly how does this all work, um, especially with my commitment that I already had with the Army. How do I get from having this commitment that uh, any normal commissioned officer would have once they got commissioned uh, to putting that on hold. Um, so it caused a lot of stress and anxiety, but uh, uh, talking with Father Aiden and working through that with him was of uh, great help. I see. And uh, so you're six years down the line now, and uh, during your transition from Denver to Colorado Springs, well, we were blessed to have you here for a year, here at the uh, Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center. Uh, uh, and so tell me, what has it been for you this past year working out of the uh, pastoral center here? Well, actually, I was, uh, I was very fortunate after my first year in seminary to be an intern here uh, for a few months, and so I kind of got my feet wet a little bit. And that uh, paved the way for when I... Uh, discerned that I was needing to leave Denver um, for Archbishop Borrelio to generously offer me uh, a position here to, you know, have have a stable place to continue my discernment. Um, and that has been a fantastic experience. So you get to see how 
everything works behind the scenes for the church, and especially just working on all these different projects they've had me working on. Um, I think that uh, the best thing that I've been able to do, aside from learning uh, a great deal about canon law, just with all the canon lawyers we have around here, um, is well, three or four. At least. <laughs> uh, yeah, three. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> maybe a couple honorary degrees for people, but. Uh, um, uh, I think the best project that they've had me working on, which has exemplified the heroic virtue of uh, priests who enter into the military, is going through um, all these old files of priests from World War II in Vietnam, and you get to come across these guys who... Um, I've come across one person who got the Medal of Honor, and I've, I've come across a lot of guys who received the Silver Star, Distinguished Service Medal, Distinguished Service Cross... Um, These are all chaplains. All chaplains, yeah. There was a uh, one in particular who uh, he saw a wounded man in a in a minefield, and he said, "I'm going to go get that guy." He went out, managed to get to the guy, started coming back, and he, he hit a landmine, and uh, um, he kept ministering to the guy, even even though he and he and the other man were were wounded. Uh, he received uh, the distinguished service cross for that. You happen um, to remember the name of that chaplain? Unfortunately, I don't. Yeah. I've gone through well, so I'll, many I'll, of the I'll, records. I'll, I'll, yeah, <laughs> I can understand, but yeah. I'll point out this, that uh, uh, of all the chaplains who have received the um, Medal of Honor, which mm-hmm. is the nation's highest military decoration since the Civil War, all five of them were Catholic priests. Yep. Mm-hmm which is remarkable. It uh, speaks well of those men as individuals, and it speaks well of the church and, and the faith and the formation of the priests. Um, and speaking of which, I should say that uh, as you, um, you're you planning to go back to seminary now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're teaching me how to serve. I, I was actually a, an altar boy in my youth, but it's been, uh, I think I've, I've been here at the Archdiocese for 10 years, and I try to get to daily Mass as often as I can. And there's only been one or two occasions where I had to step in and, uh, and serve, and I uh, really had to call on my distant memory to do it. But you've been uh, retraining me the last couple of, or last day or so, and I appreciate that. And uh, we're going to miss you when you're gone. Uh, but uh, so... Where do you stand now? You're getting ready to go back. How many more years of seminary do you have? So um, I will be uh, going back into second theology come August. Uh, but before that, I will be entering into a uh, pastoral semester um, in Colorado Springs. So now I've been working the behind the scenes of, of what the church does. And now for the next semester, I'll be uh, out there on the front lines of the parish work, and I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so you were able to overcome the difficulty you had at first with philosophy. Yeah. And uh, you're going to require the same kind of analytical and critical thinking skills to study theology in the in the fall. Well, I will say this. Philosophy, though it is ex- it was extremely difficult for me to to go through those two years just with the academics, and the languages that you have to learn, you know, Greek and Latin. Um, some guys also have to take uh, take Hebrew as well. Um, I will say that on this side of, of it, I'm incredibly grateful for the rigorous studies that I went through because when you're talking to people out there on the street who have who who have problems with uh, with the Catholic Church or have problems with God or have problems with just anything of. of uh, uh, of a f- philosophical nature, 
it is so nice to be able to philosophically discuss with these individuals because that's where a lot of them are. A lot of people, they have arguments that are not theological in in their uh, nature. They're philosophical. Or not even, and, and even if they're philosophical, they're not logical a lot of times. And that's where knowing philosophy really helps, uh, really helps me. And, uh, and I know a lot of my fellow seminarians really helps them to have discussions with these individuals to help them to start learning, well, let's talk about that viewpoint of yours and why it might not be correct. And let's lead you down the path to knowing what is a more logical position would be. Um, and you know, I've, I've come across a lot of people who have, who say they don't believe in God and it's, it's a lot of like, oh, they're suffering in the world or something like that. It's like, okay, let's lead, let's start with that and let's go to why there is a God using philosophy. It's not, and I'm, I'm not using, um, when I have those kind of discussions with people, when I'm having discussions with people who are atheists, I try not to use the Bible because it becomes an argument from authority. They have no belief in that, uh, in the authority of the Bible, so they're not going to um, really adhere to any of the arguments that might come from it. So you have to argue with them from a philosophical point uh, first. Very interesting. Okay, so you're going on a pastoral uh, several months, not a year. Yeah, you'll be back in uh, you'll be back in class in the fall. Uh, what sort of pastoral work uh, will you be doing? This is back in Colorado Springs, right? Yeah. What what kind of pastoral work? Will you be working in a parish? Will you be out uh, among the poor or going to visit the sick or going to prison or where? So I will be assigned to a in, uh, to a parish, Holy Apostles, uh, in Colorado Springs. And uh, I'm not quite sure yet what they're going to have me do there. I haven't had that discussion with the pastor yet. Um, I can imagine that uh, uh, I'd be involved in some youth programs or something. They do have a school there, so maybe I'll be doing something uh, with the school. Um, I know I'll probably I will definitely be serving uh, again, but uh, that's uh, that, those are those are all my guesses at the moment. And uh, for those not familiar with the uh, process whereby priests are ordained. Mm-hmm. Uh, one year before your priestly ordination, you're ordained a transitional deacon. You're you're ordained a deacon, but it's transitional. The next year, you'll become a priest. When will you be ordained a transitional deacon? So, God willing, that would take place uh, in about uh, two years. I see. Um, so yeah. we're talking 2022. Yeah, that sounds about right. Or spring of 2022, and then the following year, everything goes according to plan. Mm-hmm. 2023, you'll be ordained a priest. Yeah. And at that point, you'll uh, go back to Colorado Springs and work there for three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then be free to go active duty on the Army, in the Army. Uh, and uh, when you look forward to that prospect, what goes through your mind? Are you excited about being an Army chaplain? I am very excited about it. I think that uh, it's going to be a little bit of a, a rough go at the beginning because so much uh, has fallen out of my brain in terms of uh, all these acronyms and uh, just Army doctrine that I'll have to uh, pick up again, dust off the shelves, you know. Um, so that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. I'm looking forward to actually getting to know soldiers again and encountering them and seeing what kind of issues they have so I can 
try to in some way bring Christ into those moments. What is your status now? Are you still active in the uh, Colorado National Guard? No. So when you switch over to being a chaplain candidate, they they tend to put you in the Army Reserve. And they put you in what's called the Individual Ready Reserve, the IRR, um, so that you can still be in the Army, but they aren't, the Army just doesn't uh, do much with you or bother you at all um, while you're in your time in seminary. I see. Uh, okay, well, uh, you talk about the issues that uh, that the folks in the military face. Uh, I'm sure you've thought a little bit about what those are, and, and given your own background in the National Guard in Colorado, what kinds of issues are you expecting to encounter? For example, we hear a lot about moral injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear a lot about post-traumatic stress syndrome. We hear a lot about addiction, divorce. Um, any thought given to how you'll deal with these problems? Well, the um, the divorce one, you know, I've been working in a, my my desk has been in the tribunal up here, which handles all the annulment cases uh, for the archdiocese. That has been interesting to hear some of the ideas from um, the judicial vicar on on how do you address certain issues that come up in those in those cases or how what are some ideas to prevent um, a couple from to getting uh, prevent a couple from uh, to getting to that point in their relationship um, so I've, I've been uh, listening to him and thinking about how we, can you implement some of these ideas into the military uh, uh, lifestyle um, I think that a lot of the problems that soldiers have, especially when they first get into the military, is they're young. They're just eight, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, uh, just just like I was when I first got in. And you really don't know as much as you think you do. And you're really, a lot of people I found are kind of lost, just trying to go, go along, figure out who am I? Who am I in the big scheme of things in these moments? And I'm trying to find my identity right now in the military in this and in being a soldier how do i find my identity as a beloved son or beloved daughter of christ i think that's it's a unique challenge with men and women in uniform but it also has some special graces with them being in mil- in the military because we by our very nature in the military we want to give of ourselves we want to be at service to others and that's a big thing of what christ calls us to is to be ser- to be of service to others um so I think there's uh, special graces in that. And I suppose uh, a lot of the uh, young men in particular, young women too, I suppose, but uh, uh, there's this macho thing about being in the mm-hmm. military. And the military's role is uh, you know, to enforce the peace, to make war where necessary for the greater good. Yet the message of Christ is peace. Mm-hmm. So how do you reconcile those Conflict, seemingly conflicting values. Well, I think if you talk to anyone who's been to war, and I've not been deployed, but I've certainly spoken with the, enough, they, a lot of people don't. A lot of men and women in the in uniform will tell you that they're the first ones to advocate for peace, the, because they're the ones who are going to be fighting the war. They don't want to have to uh, constantly be fighting the wars. They would prefer to be at home with their families to work through their own issues together. Um, I think that what we've been called to is to be defending individuals who want to live in peace. That's what our, our role in the military is, is to be defenders of peace. 
Yeah, it's it sounds like a, a bit of a contradiction. You know, peace and war. How do you work? The, how do you how do you balance those two? How do you how do you um, how do you uh, be a peacekeeper and not a warmonger? Uh, and that's something that uh, each soldier has to address for themselves: is what does this mean for me? Um, what what am I as a peacekeeper? Um, how do I maintain this moral high ground of defending others and not being an aggressor? And I think that uh, a lot, in a lot of ways, the rules of engagement that the United States military has um, are designed to keep us as peacekeepers, not aggressors. And it's easy to forget sometimes that Christ himself ministered to uh, those in uniform, the, the mm-hmm. centurion, uh, yes. where we uh, uh, derive our um, prayer before communion. Uh, uh, and uh, so uh, something to keep in mind. And I think that also, you know, we are all of us, all Christians are called to battle. We're all called to battle in the spiritual war that takes precedence over over material warfare that we'd have here on, on earth. We're called to battle with our own inner demons with the with this, with the demons out there in the actual world, we are called to battle against them, to really take on the armor of God, to allow Him to be our armor, to be our defense, um, and that's I think something that soldiers also can can uh, bring into their personal prayer life in a I think a very unique way with their own uh, occupation. And I think that often gets overlooked in our. Uh Catholic churches. Uh, sometimes we forget that there is a spiritual warfare. We don't tend to think of it in those terms. Mm-hmm. Patrick De Loretto, the uh, guest on this edition of Catholic Military Life, a co-sponsored seminarian, uh, expected to be ordained a transitional deacon in 2022 and a priest in 2023, and uh, within three years after that, uh, planning to go on active duty in the U.S. Army. Patrick, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure, Taylor. Thank you. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, the AMS, was established by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985. Her mission, to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, the civilian workforce employed by the federal government beyond U.S. borders, and the families of these populations, making the AMS the church's only truly global archdiocese. Among pastoral services provided by the AMS under Archbishop Timothy Brolio, celebration of the sacraments, endorsement of chaplains, evangelization and religious education, sacramental record-keeping, a thriving seminarian program, pastoral visitation by the bishops to military installations worldwide, and more. All told, 1.8 million Catholics all over the world depend on the AMS based in Washington, D.C. to meet their spiritual and sacramental needs. The AMS receives no government funding. She depends entirely on private gifts for survival. For more information, visit millarch.org.